Alive and Kicking is proudly supported by Classic Football Shirts, the home of classic, rare and retro football shirts. For 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts, head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a champagne supernova in the sky. Yes, it's really been 20 years. My name's Ash Rose and I've been put in charge of this walk down memory lane into a decade that we changed football forever. And yes, I've used that intro again. Tonight we're going back to the summer of 1990 and our first tournament pod as we look back on Italia 90. So we'll be looking back on some mega memories, some players and England's, well, when they reignited football, really, in the in, in Italian 90s. So all that to come. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s. So do drop us a comment there and tweet us any mementos as always. You can subscribe on iTunes or at ak90s.co.uk. We also have a brilliant new partnership uh, with this, on this podcast with classicfootballshirts.co.uk, which is a brilliant website for genuine vintage football shirts from the time. Um, and if you go online at the moment, we're doing a special bonus code where you can get 10% off. All you have to do is enter AK90s. I've personally shopped there, got a 1990 QPR shirt, style there that's, that I still wore, actually wore on Saturday's game. And the shirts are brilliant. Guys, they are great. So do check them out. But that's tonight. We're going to welcome our guests on, who will be talking Italian 90 with me. Uh, and for the first time, we welcome back someone. Someone's returned to the pod. Someone I call the 90s guru and Chelsea fan, Paddy O'Sullivan. Good evening. Good evening, Ash. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Apart thank from you. your bad back? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have you. Um, we've also got football journalist and author and Spurs fan, Ben Littleton. Good evening. Hi, Ash. Hello. And from Monday Hour magazine, which is, uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do. Brilliant magazine. Uh, they did Italian 90 special, actually, uh, a couple of issues ago, which was brilliant, uh, especially the merchandise section, which I kind of weeped over quite a lot. Seb White, good ah, evening. Thanks very much. Yes, yeah, good to be here. Thank good, you. Thanks. Uh, before we do your quickly CVs, because we've got so much to talk about tonight, um, we'll look back at some things that happened in the 90s this week. Um, so 7th of October 1995, Janino joined Middlesbrough for £4.75 million. And for anyone who listened to the first pod, we spoke a lot. Paddy was there, actually. Yeah, we a did, lot yeah. about Janino, as Joe will tell you. Um, 10th of October 1996, Estonia failed to show for a World Cup qualifier with Scotland. And the game was abandoned after three seconds. I've still got that image of them kicking off with an empty stadium in my head, if anyone remembers that. 11th of October 1995, Everton striker Duncan Ferguson was jailed for a headbat on Paul McStay. And 11 October 1997, England draw with Italy to book their place at 1998 World Cup, which we will cover at some point during the season as well. So let's do our football CVs very quickly before we dig into 1990. Um, I'm going to start, Paddy, because we've already built up part of yours. Was yep. Your players were Zola and Cantona, if uh, I'm Gas- rightly? Gascoigne, Gascoigne. Yeah, got so many Gascoins and yeah. Cantona. I was just trying to work which, which one's which. Yep. So we're going to switch you to game. So quickly, yep. best 90s game for Chelsea? Uh, it would be... It would be obvious to sort of go for cup wins and sort of stuff like that, but I'm going to pick one that happened just after Italia 90. Um, the season after we beat Arsenal uh, 2-1, um, we were actually the only team to beat Arsenal that season. 
Um, so it's sort of a game that sticks out in my mind. And they would, have, they would have been invincible long before anybody in this country had ever heard of Arsene Wenger. So I'm going to pick that one. Pick that one, yeah. And overall, outside of Chelsea, best 90s game? Uh, I'm going to slightly cheat here, Ash. Um, I'm going to pick the last day of the 94-95 season where Blackburn travelled to mm. Liverpool. So you're picking two games? Yes. And United, <laughs> United picked... Um, United went to West Ham yep. and I think it was the first time Sky had shown two games on the same, was, yeah. Yeah, same day and it was in, our, um, in Matches Pod a couple of weeks yes, ago you did, yeah. Yeah. and it's, um, it was drama right till the last yep. minute loved it up until, well up until Aguero that was probably the best last day that the Premier League it, had ever seen it was wasn't it? yeah it was um, over to Ben then we've had a few Spurs fans on um, so far this season I think the best sum up was last week actually Phil summing up Spurs by calling them Spursy can you better that if you can sum up the 90s for Tottenham well I was going to say a decade of glorious underachievement but that doesn't really separate it from <laughs> like the that, 80s that's what could be on your badge couldn't it yeah exactly it was very similar so um, it started off pretty well with a cup win in 91 but then it was uh, the era of Ozzy Ardiles Christian Gross and Jerry Francis sums it up really Jerry Francis and his hair which is, he still lives today love Jerry Francis' hair best club player then for, for Tottenham for you Teddy Sheridan usually gets the nod but yeah, is well, someone this different this one says more about me than I think the player and that was Steve Sedgley oh okay oh, that's, that's very random yes I know well, he was, he, he's kind of typified the way I played never as good as he thought he was um, <laughs> always gave it too much mouth and uh, yeah felt he should be playing he thought he should be playing for England but obviously miles away from it so I quite admired him yeah. for that Good choice, good choice. And then outside of uh, Spurs, best 90s player? Mm, probably King Kaladzi. The, uh, the chubby David yeah. Silva, I think we'd probably <laughs> call him that. But uh, no, he was, he was brilliant. And I, I liked him when he was at Derby and, and when he was at City. And I liked the fact that he never actually played for like a really big club. Yeah. You know, he, City were obviously very different to how they are now. And um, the idea that he always played for clubs that were slightly rubbish, but he was by far far yeah. too good for yeah. them like, it just made me like him a bit more mm. we, I don't know if you heard we spoke to Paul Walsh on, on a pod uh, a few weeks ago about King Gladstone and he wasn't we didn't rave about him it was a bit nice he wasn't best impressed with his which which surprised me because I have the same view of King Clancy as you great player but I don't think he's maybe it's worth work rate yes I don't think his work rate went down with someone like Paul Walsh yeah it was kind of implied that he was lazy yeah I think well Paul Walsh was a very sort of buzzy round type player wasn't he I suppose it was the complete opposite so and lastly Seb this is going to be brilliant because I don't think we will have another one of these and as I said pre-pod it's the first time I've ever met a Yeovil Town fan so some of the 90s for Yeovil first of all non-league wasn't it yeah, we were certainly non-league then. Um, obviously, people before knew us as the team of the sloping pitch, and actually, we moved we moved ground at the start of the 1990s um, to this all singing, all all dancing stadium on the outskirts of the town centre, which is ten a penny nowadays. <laughs> but it was quite a new thing in, in that in those days. Uh, unfortunately, our chairman got the sums wrong, and uh, Tesco's didn't pay us quite enough money for our famous sloping pitch and uh, it very nearly bankrupted us actually and it was only because of the FA Cup so synonymous with Yeovil Town that mm-hmm. we managed to survive uh, we got a home t- tie against uh, Arsenal and that pretty much kept us going we yeah. got relegated uh, the following season uh, and then actually as yeah we, we got promoted again with Graham Roberts as our manager um, which was which is interesting and entertaining in, in many ways but towards the end of the 90s we we started to see something that actually maybe we were looking to move upwards and yeah the, the end of the 90s was certainly the start of uh, new things for Yeovil Town and you know I speak now we're a football league club of the last eight years now so yeah the 90s was a turbulent decade but it certainly ended in a much better than it started ah, it's very very interesting so this is this going to be a name we're familiar with or was it more that Yeovil Town pl- pl- uh, fans would know the best Yeovil Town player from the 90s uh, yeah it, probably not many people might know him uh, Warren Patamore uh, he was a part-timer as um 
as most of our players were back in those days. And um, I think his, his job during the week was uh, he was stacking, so I was stacking shelves or refilling vending machines, I think he was doing. Brilliant. But at the weekends... So he would have been an FA Cup story. Uh, uh, yeah, well, he, um, when they do those stories on BBC, yeah, yeah. Football Focus. I mean, he's, he's, he's our, you know, there was a cult hero series on yeah. BBC. He was, yeah. our, he was our cult hero. Big lad, scored goals, uh, brilliant. And I would take him over any of the full-timers we've had since. Brilliant. And so you've got quite an impartial view of the 90s, really, as a non-league club. So if you can pick one player, then well, your favourite player in the 90s? Well, I was thinking this last night, and um, I would have said Eric Cantona straight away, mm. but um, I'm gonna, I heard the last week's podcast, and someone went for a foreign player, and for me it would have to still be a, the best player that's ever played the game, Diego Maradona. I mean, yeah. OK, he, you know, maybe the twilight of his career, but he kept it pretty balmy and uh, enjoyed himself and... Probably the re- I mean, we're big fans of him at Mundial, and we will we'll always will be. And yeah, maybe it wasn't necessarily the football; it was more the off-the-pitch yeah. stuff. But that was Diego. He kept it. In he was still. In, I mean, we'll talk about a little bit about him a bit later because he played at 1990. But and, you know, 94 before what happened was revealed, he, he started that World Cup on yeah. fire, didn't he? We, yeah. we actually, I think, remember at the time they thought we were seeing the renaissance of, of Maradona at that point. Yeah. So. I mean, that was and. and Whilst I'm a Yeovil Town fan, my, probably my first real football memory was when I was seven or eight, and my auntie lived in Naples, and uh, I actually went to an Napoli game. Oh, so wow. I, mean, I was used to watching Yeovil Town in front of 1,500 <laughs> people. a different contrast. And then I saw 70,000, 80,000 people, what, you know, and obviously the best player that's ever played. Mm. You know, obviously I try and dine out on that a little bit now yeah, because I didn't good, quite yeah. realise at the time, but yeah. yeah good uh, choice, good choice. So, well, that lovely goes into what we're going to talk about tonight and, and Ben's writing a lot of notes so I'm hoping there's some good stuff on that piece of paper um, Mar- Maradona played in 1990 we're going to talk 1990 um, it's where it all began it's what I like to say as well changed football as well because we were talking about this actually pre-pod uh, on the way up and how different it could have been if a, England weren't there yep. uh, or if England didn't do very well and the whole landscape because English football before 1990, we were still suffering from Hazel, suffering from Hillsborough. The Premier League was still sort of two, three years off. It was in a rut, and it was 1990 for me, I think, that really began what happened in the 90s. So before we, we talk to, uh, too, too far into the tournament and speak to our guests, just going to throw out to the guests here the, your, maybe your favourite moment, your first thoughts of, of Italia 90. So, Ben, do you want to start? What, what instantly comes to mind when we think Italia 90? Uh, I think all the controversies more than mm. more than the football. So you think of the opening game with Cameroon yep. beating Argentina, the sending off really more than the goal uh, because that was comic in its uh, <laughs> yeah. violence yeah. almost. And then uh, I remember it's almost funny, really. Wasn't it, it was yeah because yeah, I remember when Massing went so hard in on Canucci that he lost his boots. Yeah, and then <laughs> I he, watched and it then, last night and, and I forgot then, how bad that tackle was. Yeah, and then he kicked. Uh, out another player with his with with the foot that wasn't wearing a shoe on it. So even if he had made contact, it wouldn't have done. Imagine that much the damage. uproar that they would come today from if that happened in a game. Exactly, exactly. They'd still be talking about it, kind of twenty years later. So um, that for me was quite a great a great mm. start, really, because it was unexpected. Then you have the Rijkaard Vola yeah. um, incident, yeah. and and of course just Gascoigne lighting yeah. up the tournament. And I think you mentioned the fact that if England hadn't done well or hadn't been there. But even if England had been there and just Gascoigne wasn't there, yeah. and he only got his place in the squad really late. Really late, that yeah. brilliant performance against Czechoslovakia yeah. in the April friendly. Mm. So if he hadn't been there, I don't think there would have been this bandwagon of support behind England. And, and well, he set up half the changed. goals if you yeah. look through that yeah. tournament as yeah. well. I mean, we'll talk about England in more detail later. But he, you know, he was involved in pretty much 
most of England goals during that tournament, especially the Cameroon game for the penalties for Lineker as well. But Paddy, what are your? And I know you woke up this morning hearing Nasser Dorma in your I, head. Didn't I did you? actually. That's no word of a lie. That is, that is an absolutely true story. Um, for me, it makes as, it sound like you woke up together. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for, that's our alarm clock. So yeah, can <laughs> we reveal that? No, 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 anyway, no, um, as uh, you and I have known each other for years, I've I've always talked about this goal, and it is Roberto Baggio's goal yeah. for Italy yeah. against the that was then Czechoslovakia. Picks the ball up on the halfway line on the left hand side, beats two or three players, slots it in the bottom corner, and that goal never really gets mentioned in terms of mm. the great World Cup goals. Um, and for me, obviously, it's a bit more sort of USA '94, but he was a fantastic yeah. footballer. Um, we got on that tournament by someone we'll speak about later, but yeah, he was he, still he very was, good for Italy. But he, he didn't was, start the tournament, did he? He wasn't no, a starter. No, no, and, he, and, and that just shows actually how strong the Italian team was yeah. going into that tournament. But Baggio was a fantastic player, and that was a fantastic goal. And mm. that's one thing I always remember about that World Cup. And Seb, your your underlying memory. Uh, I think everyone remembers their um, first sticker album. Or, oh, you know, those yeah, albums. now he's on the pod. He's, he's listened before. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you remember your sticker albums and the like, and I'm sure I collected the football league ones and, and whatever it was back then. Um, but I remember a little thing called World Cup 90. It wasn't the official sticker album, but it was a... Was it the Orbis one? Orbis, this is, yes, the, this Orbis the one, we, yeah. one yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things that you bought every week. You know, yep. The first one's normally 50, whatever yeah. price it was. I don't then. think it's they do cheap. that anymore. But They yeah. don't do it anymore, but... And you collected all these parts, and it really was. This is pre-internet, so yeah. it, was, it was really giant binder. Exactly, yeah. giant binder. It was pre-internet. You really found out about all these ridiculous. I mean, mm. one thing I remember: they had Diego Maradona's brother in the Argentina squad. Yeah, he, he barely, he'd never <laughs> played for Argentina, but you know, it was obviously it wasn't. It was t- you know, it was just so yeah. mad. It was just crazy. And I remember collecting that, and oh, I was I was ten at the time, and and every week it was a new thing of greatest goals, greatest games, and that for me set up that tournament and. Uh, I would remember coming home from... I think the first thing I remember, actually, of the tournament, aside from that tackle, which is still... Yeah, is ridiculously funny and, and amazing in so many <laughs> levels. But the first thing I remember is rushing home to watch Costa Rica play Scotland yeah. from school. And rushing home, and not really being bothered about the result, but, yeah, Scotland getting beat. And yeah. in the... I think it was a Lu- Luigi Ferrari stadium. And looking at that stadium going, that is like something from another mm. planet, you know. Obviously from the Oval fan, but, yeah, the Costa Rica-Scotland <laughs> game is actually the first thing I remember thinking... This tournament's going to be special, yeah, and it was great on, on many just, levels. Just on the childhood thing, I seem to I sort of seem to recall watching games and then sort of going straight outside to play in the garden, sort of recreate what you'd just seen. But the problem was was that you didn't know any other Romanians apart from Georgie Hadji. <laughs> so you were kind of like Hadji passes to Hadji passes. Oh, and Hadji scored, and that was that yeah. was it really. But <laughs> you told me a story as well that you had chicken pox during the. To- you nicely I, timed yeah, having I, chicken pox I, during I, Italian yeah, 90s. As, yeah, as, as a as a young, as a child, I. I I, um, I got chicken pox towards the end of the group stage. Now, if there's any kids listening, if you're going to get chicken pox towards the end of a group stage of a World Cup, it's probably the best yeah. time Grab to Jimmy, do it. You get your yeah. face rub against yeah, him. Uh, yeah. uh, absolutely, and that, and because basically, let's let's face it, chicken pox is not really that bad. You can you can go. You <laughs> can, you're an adult. You can yeah. watch. You can, yeah, you can you can watch the games. Then you can go outside, play football, watch more games, and you don't have to go to school. It's brilliant. Yeah, there's a lesson there. Get ill during the tournament and watch all the games. I mean, for me, there's two things that. I always think the mascot the most brilliant but ridiculous mascot I think Chow, Chow yeah of yeah. World Cup I've ever seen because it was tried to be sort of clever didn't they and yeah. to be a little bit sort of nouveau with the uh, the stick man with the squares 
dressed in the tree colour. Yeah, brilliant. He was a brilliant mascot. And of course, I can't believe I've gone this far into the pod and not mentioned John Barnes's rap. Yeah. Because for me, I love Free Lions. I, you know, and it's summed up a summer. But that World in Motion, best football song ever, ever. without a doubt, without question. I without think, question. I think, I always think about World in Motion and Three Lions in a bit like the way that people look at Uncle Albert and Granddad on Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> now, if you're a little bit old school, you always go Granddad. Granddad. And that's what World in Motion yeah. was. It's it brilliant. does show age, but it's just a great song. I mean, I know I think I've mentioned it before as well. If you don't know the words to John Barnes's rap, you, you didn't you didn't grow up enough. That was it's like knowing all the words to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme tune. <laughs> it's the football equivalent. John of, Barnes didn't do that. Did he? he could have done. <laughs> I, I think he could have been Britain's answers to Will Smith, but I think he's missed his calling there. Right, we're going to talk more about the tournament, um, but first we're going to speak to somebody who actually played in it and scored Ireland's first ever World Cup goal. It's Kevin Sheedy. Kevin, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're talking Italian 90 tonight, so you're very much part of that. What do you remember about the, the opening game? Uh, of course, you scored the goal, the build up to it, and, and how big of an occasion it was for you and, and for the Ireland team? Um, well, it was a, <clears throat> a massive build up. We went to, to Malta uh, to prepare before the tournament. And obviously, with the, the, the first game being against England, there was a lot of hype. Uh, Jack Charlton being the manager, obviously played in the World Cup winning team, so there was a lot of pressure on Jack. But uh, we prepared for the for the game. Um, the memories of the game, obviously, a long time ago. Uh, it was a real wet, windy evening. Mm. Um, typical derby game, England mm. Ireland. Um, England scored Gary Lineker uh, from close range, um, and then fortunately for me, um, had an opportunity. Um, Steve McMahon had just come on as a sub uh, made went to play a square ball to Gary Stevens, which I intercepted and uh, struck uh, a 25-yard shot low past Peter Shilton so um, Ireland's first goal in, football, in uh, World Cup history so something that you know, I'll always have in the record books and, and real uh, a great moment for myself mm, that's, I was going to ask you and say that it's you know first ever Ireland goal scorer is, is that something you, one of your career highlights for you? It is as a young boy when you're growing up and you're, you know, you're watching World, you know, the World Cup. Uh, I remember at the time it was Brazil uh, with Pele, all great, great players. Um, and as a, as a player, when you become a professional, obviously the highlight is to, to, to be successful with your club team and obviously go on to international. And uh, we, we played in 1988 European Championships in Germany, which I think was a, um, gave us the belief that we could play against the top teams in the world. And obviously then to go on and qualify for the the World Cup and, and play there and do really well. So, it was, you know, we had a lot of really top players, you know, playing for the, the top teams at the time. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we had a great time. Mm, that, that group was pretty tough. Uh, did you look at that group at, at the beginning? You know, Holland, who had the great Rijkaard and Van Basten and Hullet, and then obviously the Derby of England and somewhat unknown in Egypt. Did, how confident were you going into to the group stages? I mean, you're never confident. It's obviously, um, when, when you look in the tournaments, it's important you don't get beat in the first game. So obviously, for me to get the equaliser, for us to not get beat, gave us a, a great opportunity. Egypt were the sort of uh, the minners of the group, but we failed to, to break them down in the second game. Uh, we had a few chances, didn't take them, um, and it was a real big disappointment, nil-nil. So it was all pressure on the on the final game against Holland. And with the other way the, the other results went, uh, it meant that a draw would be be good enough. So, um, you know, Nalquin scored scored equalising goal for us. I think the last twenty minutes, both teams were just just happy enough to to play the draw out and get through to the next stage. Yeah, where you played, of course, Romania and, and the famous penalty shootout. You took one as well. What was that like? Uh, is, were you ner- how were your nerves for that one? 
it's um, I was a sort of I, I was the penalty taker, so it's I, I was sort of my my thinking of it was that you know um, I could have left, left my penalty till last, but if we you know we hadn't scored our early ones, then you know I wouldn't have been able to take one. So I thought well, I'll take the first one and get us off to a good start. Um, once the final whistle went after extra time. Uh, there's quite a long way to it. It's about 15 minutes before everything settles down, and you know the penalty takers get mm. chosen. Um, but I was always single-minded. You know, I knew what I was going to do. I decided I was going to, you know, strike the ball straight down the middle high, because uh, I thought I felt that the goalkeeper, you know, the first penalty would have to move. Um, had you scored for them, um, great player, great left foot as well. Um, and then it was my turn, so the long walk up. Um, but I was, you know, focused on what I was doing. I struck the ball really well. The goalkeeper dived, and it was down the middle, high up. So, um, you know, that was a great relief to, to score. And obviously, um, Tony Cascarino, Ray Houghton, Andy Townsend scored, and then everyone, you know, knows that it was down to, to Packy Barnum to make a save, and then Dave O'Leary to get the famous uh, winning penalty that got us through to the, the quarterfinals. Was the celebrations great that night? Obviously, you had the next game coming up, but I'm sure you had a good celebration that night. Yeah, just just emotion, just really high, you know, obviously getting through, uh, you play an extra time. Um, as I mentioned before, Hadji was a great player. He had a couple of shots from about 30 yards, uh, packing in a couple of great saves and, you know, a few just went past the post. Uh, we had a couple of half chances, so I think the game was even. And then obviously it's great when you when you win a penalty shootout, but obviously you feel a little bit for the Romanians, you know, it's, a, it's not a nice way to, to go out of a World Cup, but... Obviously, we got through, and then uh, you know we had a, we had a good night. But obviously, your minds are then focusing on Italy at, in Rome, um, eighty thousand people. So you're really fully focused then on on the next game. And what was that like? I mean, it was a tough game that one, and you, you took Italy to the to the wall really because it only took one goal, didn't it? And the Scalacci striking again as well. So what was that game like? That was a real tight game. Um, I remember, uh, as I say, eighty thousand in Rome, I mean, great Irish support. Uh, the referee on the night was slightly leaning towards Italy with 50-50 decisions. And in, in the context of the game, that slightly tipped the scales in their balance. But um, the goal they scored, it was uh, it broke to Donadoni. He ran about half a length of the pitch, hit a shot. Uh, Packing made a save, parried it out. And uh, the last man we wanted to drop to was Scalacci, who, who was absolutely on fire. Mm. He was the top goal scorer. Um, and he just finished it, finished it off. Uh, we had a couple of chances later on. Um, and you know we, you know, really, we really pushed them close uh, to, to to getting through. So it was a big disappointment to get beat. But obviously, looking back on it, you know, we did really well to to get to that stage. Yeah, I mean, obviously the furthest you know island have been as well. And looking back, then finally on the World Cup as a whole, what are your your best memories from from the tournament and, and that squad and Jack Charlton? Well, as I said, mentioned before, we had a lot of top players playing it. But I remember Jack saying after the game, he said, you'll never know how, how close you've come to getting to a World Cup final because um, the, the next game would have been against Argentina, who had Maradona, but they were an aging team and they weren't as good as what they were uh, when they won the World Cup in 86. And, um, you know, you're looking at the way they played and they got through to the final. So it's something you look back on and think, Jack, you know, you knew what he was saying at the time. Um, but no, looking back at the, the whole experience, I mean, as I say, to, to actually play in, in a World Cup, uh, something I'll always treasure. Great memories, uh, great games, the Irish supporters, um, the atmosphere, uh, scoring against England, scoring the, uh, the penalty against Romania. You know, it's something that I look back with uh, really proud moments. And so you should, Kevin, definitely. You're one of the standout moments we'll be talking about tonight on the pod. So thanks for talking to us. OK, no problem. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. That was great memories there from Kevin and, and Ireland's brilliant uh, World Cup run in 1990. Um, we're going to talk England now. Um, we've briefly touched on it already, um, just how tournament changed for English football and one Paul Gascoigne. 
And uh, I mean, the group stages. It was a tough group, as we mentioned, with Ireland as well. With yeah. the, you know, Holland was the European champions at that point. Um, but even in the group stages, we saw from Gaza, didn't we? I mean, the Cruyff turn in the Holland game, touches that would go on throughout the tournament, and and then the Egypt game where we, they won one nil with Mark. How do you assess the group stages, Seb, for for England in that tournament? Well, I just remember again. I'm, I was ten at the time. I remember being eight watching the Euros. I'm, I vaguely remember Mexico '86, but only because of yeah, my dad swearing at Maradona, but. <laughs> I, you know, I remember 88 because I remember England, even then as an eight-year-old and getting shoot magazine every week, I, we, we were decent, we were good and we obviously went in with high hopes. Obviously, we were absolutely dreadful. Uh, uh, and so the group stage at Italian 90, it was nice to see, again, uh, being a 10-year-old, but it was nice to see an England team that you could get a little bit positive about, yeah. like the Gazers. Because expectations weren't yeah. mega high No, they weren't. No, the no, and, and actually, you, you go back to it and you look at, I mean... Again, I've, I've, we, we watched it again. We went through Italian 90 for our issue too. And just watching it, you're thinking, Christ, some of these games are terrible. Yeah. But there were, like you said, Gaza and things like that. You just hang on. Chris Waddle, let's not forget Chris Waddle. Yeah, I think he, had a great he gets often overlooked, and in, not just in Italian 90, but in terms of English football. I mean, me, I mean going forward as an attacking force, England had Gascoigne, yeah. Barnes, Waddle, yeah. Beardsley, yeah. Lineker. Yeah. Lineker, who at that time was, he was the top scorer in the previous World yeah, Cup. So you compare Absolutely. that yeah. to some of the players that, that play in the modern day. Now, I know we always say sort of n- nostalgia, yeah. you kind of look back, but these players, they, they were top now. draw. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, Chris Waddle, the year after, best player. Yeah, we went was, to Marseille, didn't yeah, he, was, yeah. he was absolutely fantastic. He played in a well, what would be a European Cup final mm. then. He was brilliant that night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great team. And Hit Shilton was one of the best goalkeepers exactly. in the world at the end of his of his career. But then you had Mark Wright, Terry yeah. Butcher. Yeah. Well, England, England actually um, sort of started the tournament playing a sort of rigid sort of four-four-two yeah. formation, and then Robson realised that during the Ireland game that probably wasn't going to work and shifted it to a sort of what do you probably call now a modern three-five-two mm. sweeper. They with called it. Yeah. yeah, and and that was kind of revolutionary mm. back then, I think. And um, England dominated against Holland, and they should have won. They should, yeah. have, beat, should have beaten Holland yeah. that night. And they got the win against Egypt, and then the Belgian game. And I remember that being a really tight game, wasn't it? Belgium were good, though. Yeah, I mean, really good. They, they were good, because it wasn't yeah. far off their golden era. Yeah, the first, from yeah. From 84 yeah. or 86. So, you know, they came third at the World Cup in 86, mm. didn't they? So mm. they weren't a bad side, and yet it looked like it was going towards penalties. Yeah. Because that goal from Platt, oh, you just forget. Talk of World late, Cup goals. You forget yeah, forget how late in the game it was. Yeah. 190 minutes. I was like one or two minutes to go, yeah. and and he scored it, and it was and it was really a, an amazing moment. Really, the moment that launched Platt's career yeah. as well. Because those were the days where if you played well for a couple of games, you could get a big move on the back mm, of it. Definitely. Um, well, it was, and he was only in the team because of, of Robson's injury as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, 12, um, 12 months after he ended up in Italy, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Bari, yeah. the new value to yeah. Doria, yeah. yeah. And and as you mentioned earlier on, that was Gaza's free kick. Yeah, I mean, because he was behind. Perfectly, yeah, yeah. He was behind Lofted everything. In. It was. It, I, that was again. It's easy. We forget now that football's on telly all the time. And again, I speak as a ten-year-old, not used to watching football week in, week out. But I remember watching that game, and my stepdad was on the on the sofa, just on the sofa, and that ball went in. Platt scored. I've never seen him do any. You know, I've never seen him celebrate so much in my yeah. life. You know, and yeah, so, yeah. the pyramid away, they all jumped on him. Didn't yeah, they? I remember oh, Lineker's face everyone, turning around, like yeah. beaming. This, then, even then, and as I was 10 years old, I probably should have been in bed. I used to go in bed when the bill finished. <laughs> you, you should know. have got chicken pop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but even then, just going to school, straight away, it was like, hang on, there's something going on here. And even as a 10-year-old, you pick that up, and that's why it will stay in the memory forever. And obviously, what, whatever happened made it even better. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it wasn't you, easy, because we were close to going out. Yeah. And I think that's the, mm. almost the story of England's campaign, was yeah. it was never easy all the way yeah. through. It wasn't mm. like we, we coasted to the yeah. semis. 
every game was really hard yeah. Yeah. and there was a huge sense of relief it's almost like you make, you make your own luck during tournaments yeah. in England definitely well played. the Cameroon game I mean I think that was probably the game of the tournament not yeah. even from a biased England yeah. p- point of view I mean it had yeah. everything because England proper. didn't actually play well that no they no. swang I mean Cameroon no. were the complete you know underdogs of that yeah. tournament the revelation yeah. probably the first time a real, an Africa team really made a big impact yeah. in a World Cup and that, I mean that game swung back and forth and you know the Gary Lineker's nerves I don't think we would have been out otherwise wouldn't we absolutely yeah and um, I think Gascoigne Gascoigne really turned that game yep. game on its set both penalties up didn't he yeah I think as we were saying on the way here it's very hard to talk about Italia 90 and not keep talking about Gascoigne because yeah. he just he just played that well throughout the tournament for me he was he didn't actually get the award but I think he was player of the well he was only outdone by someone we'll talk about in a second Scalacci for his goals he was yeah. named player of the tournament but yeah. he was in team I think the only thing that stopped Gascoigne getting that was because uh, and he was a home player as well as called Scalacci um, one thing I always think and people say about Euro 96 team of England is that we were caught up in the nostalgia of that team and they didn't actually play very well bar the Holland game mm. but we'll talk about that at the Euro 96 pod but th- this England team for me I think were good enough to win it and did play well in games. Do you agree, Ben? Yeah, especially the Germany game. Mm. I mean, the most important game, obviously, in the tournament because it was the semi. But I think that was our best performance as well. And we could easily have won that game. And because West Germany went on to win it, and uh, Seb mentioned earlier that Argentina weren't very good. um, So I think whoever had won that semi-final really would have been favourites for the final. And we haven't come anywhere near as close to, to reaching a World Cup final we've never even reached a World Cup semi that was our best chance really feels like it was our best chance I I think you're probably right but again we keep going back to him but remember Gaz obviously wouldn't have played in that and that's one thing um, someone mentioned it in our um, in our issue basically when Gaza got you know suspended and wasn't going to play in the final it was almost like it was game over for him anyway because you know England in the World Cup final without Gaza would have just been we probably would have won it against, but then again, you don't forget, you've got to remember, you had, they had Maradona, and yeah. obviously they were cynical and, and all, all those things, but they were still got to the World Cup final. And, we probably would have lost But yeah, I, I, I think, you know, I, maybe, and it's not, you know, we're, we're English as well, we like to have glorious failure, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that was it, but yeah, it would, have been, it would have been a travesty to see England in that World Cup final with Gaza being the main man to get us there, and, it, you know, and we can all look back at the foul and stuff. and Obviously, not just the, the tournament change, but Gaza's life probably changed from yeah, that point. You know, time, which yeah. is I don't. I, I, yeah. I watched a documentary with Gascoigne recently, and I don't think Gaza's life. As soon as he stepped off the plane when it arrived back in Luton after Italia ninety, I don't think his life was ever the same again. Um, you know, before that, he was a sort of great footballer for for Spurs and obviously for England. But after that, everybody wanted a piece. So, of him. would you say that tackle was more damaging to his? career than the tackle in the 91 cup final mm. it's argued isn't it because it, it did because for him yeah, everything yeah. changed after that but then I was, at least if he'd gone to Lazio fit you know yeah. and, and in good shape then yeah. who knows what he might have done in that era because you know all the best players went to Italy in that era and he, there's no denying about he, he was the if not the best player in the world that yeah. time so if had he not got booked or made that tackle mm. he'd have still come back as, as this fated and flawed hero. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, think was... I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that tackle changed the course of his life, but definitely the tournament did. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. And one, another yeah. undiamond image is obviously Gary Lineker as well. The tears of Gaza is an obvious one, but yeah. him turning around to the bench, yeah. Yeah. have a word with him. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant, brilliant yeah. image. Yeah. And we'll talk about the players now. I mean, we've talked Gascoigne, 
um, already but there was some, a couple other names that came from that tournament that like you say looking for your Orbis that you'd ne- probably never heard of and in today's yeah. you'd know from, from social network and that yeah, that was a good thing about World Cups in the days you didn't know these players but these particular players I don't think even really expected from their own teams I mean they said the name already but Toto Scalacci I mean he came pretty much from nowhere he only had a couple of caps I think maybe even been one pre-World Cup yeah. and he came in to be well it was the pinnacle of his career because it didn't last long after that either did it no I mean Again, sorry, I hate to another another plug for the magazine, but we did get an interview with him uh, in issue two, and um, very a brief one. But yeah, he was almost surprised as much by the sounds of it as as everyone else, you know. And um, yeah, he might not have had the you know obviously if you star at a World Cup like he did, he might not have had the career and carried on like you mentioned earlier on. Baggio obviously went on to be one of the best players ever, and unfortunately in '94 it didn't quite work for him. But you know, Scalacci. Yeah, everyone, it's just the iconic images that no one will ever forget. And he's probably thinking, why are these people from an, an English magazine want to, want to talk to me, you know, 25 <laughs> years later? But, you know, it's, it, it's obvious because it's the shirt, it's the eyes, it's the celebration, yeah. it's everything about it. And, you know, it, it would have been, been interesting to see if Italy had won that semi-final as well, what, yeah. what, what could have happened, you know. But ifs, buts and maybes, that's what football's all about. But, yeah, Scalacci's and, you know, you're Roger Miller, I mean... However old he was, you know, we don't know, you know, because obviously... I defy any child that yeah. didn't score a goal in the Did playground and then it, run to the corner exactly. and do a wiggle. That's, yeah. that's, that, yeah. Roger Miller made that tournament and he wasn't even going to be there. Yeah. He was 38 years of age, they qualified and apparently the president of Cameroon convinced him to actually go to the tournament because he was wasn't going to bother. It was, a good, it was a good thing to do. Um, just slightly back to Scalacci, he, he's become now the, the standard bearer of players, of tournament players, of, to come out of nowhere. The, the, later, the Carol Kowalski's players like that that come out of nowhere and offer back a... You mentioned Platt already, offer back a good tournament, make a name for themselves, didn't they? Yeah, and they're, and they're loads, and it's just possible to do it. But the difference now is that if you do it, you're not necessarily going to get a massive move on the back of it because mm. you, everyone can know that you know, you've just come off the bench and you're maybe just an impact sub and you're not doing it for your club. But for someone like that at that period... Um, you know, it's a it's a huge opportunity to write yourself in folklore. Some of the players that I like were from Eastern Europe because mm. there wasn't the access to yeah. to these players. Yeah. So Prozanecki, I mean, the Yugoslavia side was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. This was just before the breakup of yeah. Yugoslavia. So we talk about England's mm. last chance of or best chance of having won a major tournament, but this was Yugoslavia's as well, and they really could and should have gone much further than they did. They lost on penalties to yeah. Argentina in the quarters, but um, that brilliant. Yeah. Squad Prozanecki, Savicevic, Stojkovic. Stojkovic. Yeah. He got into. Yeah. I've got the team of the tournament here, and yeah. Stojkovic got in that, and he, he scored. He was just below Scalacci, wasn't he? I don't remember right. Yeah, he scored a hat trick. Yeah, he scored a hat trick in one of the group games, didn't yeah. he? So he scored a quite a lot of goals yeah. as well. We haven't even spoken about the winners. I well, mean, the Germany team. Oh, yeah, I forgot about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, West Germany as it yeah. was then as well, and led by the loaf Mateus, who probably at that point, I know he'd played in um, '86, but that was probably the, the peak yeah. of his career. Loaf Mateus, and he anchored that midfield. And, and one Jurgen Klinsmann who he, yeah. obviously you got to enjoy Ben later on in the 90s as we spoke before but how we looking back how good in the terms of history of football that West Germany team uh, yeah very very good let's not forget they probably had the best kit there's ever been in football at that stage <laughs> yeah. as well but um, no uh, the home or away uh, well the, the home one, yeah actually they're both pretty special but I suppose the green the, the away green one has got uh, slightly tainted by what happened against England but uh, that team yeah, the, the spine, you know, the, the defenders, you know, I, as a kid growing up, the Germany, Germany, you got, you got your um, Goody Buchwalds and uh, Jürgen Collers, you know, yeah. and 
great solid, you know, solid. They, you're not going to yeah. get past them and that's why yeah. when England played so well against them in the semi-final and were so yeah. close you were like yeah hang on this is a really good team and yeah, yeah they, they were obviously a great team and you mentioned Mateus and you mentioned Klinsman great players you know. yeah. I'll just say Simple as well that. actually that the, the guy who actually scored the winning goal in the final what a great left back Andreas yeah. Brayman was yeah. he could left foot and right foot he was an absolutely fantastic fullback. he scored a couple of goals on the way to the final mm. so it's, he fun, was, it's funny you mentioned both feet because uh, he's the only player to score in a World Cup final score penalties with his left foot and his right foot I have written a book about penalty kicks so, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to come to that there. because of that reason <laughs> yeah. as well. it was a, a big tournament for penalty shootouts wasn't it yeah more than uh, there were four more than uh, any other World Cup before or since and uh, obviously I, England suffered but yeah England as suffered always, yeah. Um, it was their first shootout they'd mm. been involved in so I wouldn't say that losing to West Germany carried that much trauma beyond that tournament because they won their next shootout which was against Spain but losing uh, in the semi-finals of Euro 96 was yeah. much more damaging to mm. them because they lost to Germany again they were all the, it was on home soil it was all this pressure of uh, there were just so many military metaphors around the game with acting mm. surrender mm. Um, on the day of the game so it felt like losing a war on home soil in Euro 96 but Italian 90 was nothing like that it no. was just the sadness of defeat and there seemed to be some kind of joy in the third place playoff with Italy it was played in really good um, spirit wasn't it because we talked about Maradona earlier on and Argentina had I think I'm not correct me if I'm right Argentina had two penalty shootouts in that tournament Mm, Maradona took a penalty in the first game that was absolutely dreadful Mm. so we're talking about the you know we were chatting earlier on about the best player in the world you know bar none Mm. best player ever the penalty was absolutely appalling well Maradona is a player that actually missed five penalties in a row when he was playing for Boca Juniors oh right okay so he had had four yeah Yeah, yeah. yeah, he did that came came later in his career he also missed a really big one for Napoli in the Cup Winners Cup that season but um, one of the reasons why um, he, uh, wow, one reason why I think uh, Argentina won the semi final shootout against Italy is because he celebrated so vigorously after scoring that there's, um, it's been proven that there's an emo- emotional contagion to celebrating penalties in a shootout. So if you really celebrate yeah. after scoring, you put more pressure on the next guy to take, who takes a penalty. And so Maradona scored. And the reason he scored, um, the reason he celebrated so much was because he'd missed against Yugoslavia. Right. Mm. And the next guy to take for Italy was Aldo Serena, who missed his penalty. Oh, mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, that game was obviously played in, in, in Naples. Na- Naples. And yeah. uh, there was obviously that undercurrent where Maradona said, don't support... Italy to the you know the people from Naples yeah. that you're not you know they don't yeah. they don't consider you Italian during the whole rest of the year what you know so I mean that yeah that's that's a good point because that that would have definitely made a very big difference and that's and talking about good penalty takers again I might have been ten but I knew that Stuart Pearce could take a penalty yeah, yeah you know Gutted. unbelievable yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Chris, Chris, Chris Waddle yeah Chris Waddle yeah. wasn't yeah. so sure still going through somewhere isn't <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, yeah, the, in the orbit Stuart Pearce you know well, Ireland did miss a penalty today in their shootout they they scored all took five penalties yeah took five penalties that's a good record as we as we've already heard yeah. We talked about something quickly we briefly touched on it earlier was the scrap as well which is now infamous in the uh, the second phase between Frank Reichard and Rudy Voller yeah. I mean that was right up there with the World Cup rivalry you know Germany Holland but those two really took it to another level didn't they uh, yeah a little bit yeah it kind of it kind of got a bit 
sort of distasteful yeah. between the uh, the sort of spitting between the two players was a little bit. Well, it was only one player. Well, Warner didn't spit. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, okay, okay, yeah. fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah but um, it just seemed a little yeah. bit. And it was out of character as well because Reichold is not. I mean, yeah, they say he's not yeah. that type of player, but yeah. he'd never done it before or since. Did Fuller, did Fuller not spit back? No, no. Oh, okay. it got lost in his mullet, didn't it? I've, so, I've spent yeah. the last twenty-five yeah. years <laughs> no, no, sort, of, no, sort of disliking so Rudy Fuller. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'll yeah. jump in here because actually, um, it, in my day job, I, met, I actually did a program about the German-Holland rivalry, and um, yeah, watching that again and again, and also speaking to the people involved, like Frank Reichard and that Frank Reichard insists it was totally out of character and it clearly was you know a lot of the teammates agree and stuff and actually Voller is very unlucky I mean it was obviously a, given what happened in 88 which if you watch that back again mm. that game in 88 is one of the one of the most fiercely fought games I've ever seen you know mm. just watching it again it's amazing that's with the Koeman celebration yeah exactly and everything, so everything with Olaf Ton and then it, celebrates exactly. in front of the opposition it, it, fans by wiping his backside exactly. with it and yeah. in 89 Germany play Holland and uh, the Holland fans have a banner linking Mateus to Hitler and things mm. like this. So there's obviously a lot going on, and and that game they're all riled up. And actually, Germany handled that game expertly yeah. well, you know. And uh, yeah. Van Basten very says, professional. Yeah, Van Basten basically says that um, once there was a sending off, you know, we had, we all had ten players each, but Germany we have ten players and they can run all day, and and and, and they obviously showed that class. Mm. And yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, watch it again on YouTube because Voller is very unlucky in that in that yeah. whole affair. But they did kiss and make up because they a couple of years later they filmed an advert together. Is that the br- when they're having breakfast? Oh, yeah. fantastic yeah. picture yeah. that is. There's, uh, a, we're, there's we're a Dutch all... phrase: uh, yeah. "It's butter again," which means it's all okay again. So <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. if you're gonna do it, you're gonna make up. We also do it like that. We're running out of time already, so I'll put it at the last sort of point to the guys here. What would be for you? The legacy, start with Paddy of, of Italian because I think a lot of people look back on Italian Ninety as quite a defensive World Cup, and we here at the, at the podcast, especially look of our nostalgic Nineties eyes, look on it a bit fonder than maybe uh, yeah. an elder generation or a younger generation. But for you, what legacy did Italian Ninety leave? I think I think just touching on that point, I think you're actually right. I think I read something recently where it says that, that, that basically you feel like as you own your first World mm. Cup, no matter how good or bad it was. And Italian Ninety was my first World Cup, so I, I have very very fond memories of it. In in terms of a legacy, um, obviously it's recently come out that the uh, government were actually considering pulling England out yep. of the tournament, um, and obviously it, it, they didn't do that, but it went sort of one stage further. They played all their games outside, in Sardinia, and they were off, off the, main, the main island. But if you could if you imagine if England had been pulled out of that tournament, the amount of revenue future generations would have missed out yep. on because there'd have been no sort of... Well, Post Italian ninety, yeah, the, there'd have been no Premier the, League. The there'd been no. Had after that, I think. Absolutely. I think football would have died. And you, you said earlier on about the eighties. I think it was a sort of dark place for mm. for English football. And um, Italian ninety lifted not just football, but I think it actually lifted this country again. Yeah, no, great points. And penalties is that what it leaves for legacy for you? Because <laughs> they were, as you say, they were a lot. But what else do you think Italian ninety left us well, with? I think Paddy's just hit the nail on the head. It's a, it's about in English football and people falling back in love with football mm. in this country and it's and it paved the way for Nick Hornby's books and the Premier League and Sky even if that might have turned into a bit of a, a beast now <laughs> yeah. but at the time you know it was yeah. it was um, yeah. much needed and it was a time when it was not cool to, to like football in yeah. fact you were looked on as a bit of a weirdo yeah. and suddenly it became very fashionable or over time it became very fashionable but you know the impact of Gascon and that England team in that tournament know, re- really lasted for decades mm, sorry Ash I know we're running out of time but I just quickly say that you could actually argue we could we could be here for another hour Easy. that that 
that tournament was actually detrimental to the English team moving forward because without the Premier League, you wouldn't have the influx of yeah. masses yes. of masses of foreign mm. players, which means that you know you didn't get as many English players now as as you do, which might actually explain why mm. English teams are starting to do poorer mm. at tournaments ever since. Yeah. One man we haven't mentioned, and I also did really well for, and I'm going to leave this final word to Seb, um, was Bobby Robson because he was mm. absolutely under fire. Pre, you know, the bad Euro '88 was, you know, there was allegations in the papers yeah. pre World Cup. Signed a pre-contract with PSV. Yeah. yeah, but even in, after that, you know, his career on the off the back of a brilliant, as we already said, he switched tactics mid-tournament. Really took it off for him as well, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, again, we, obviously, we can look back with um, rose-tinted glasses and on, on these things and. A lot of the journalists and things around the time you read all played out, which is, if you're listening to this podcast, is probably is the best book yeah. about Italian 90. Probably one of the best football books, let alone. Uh, yeah, and uh, it changed things to Bobby Robson, and rightly so, because he was obviously one of the... He, uh, he's, he's probably the gentleman of football, you know, there's no doubt about it. He's still revered now, and everything he, you know, he did before that and everything he did since has made him one of the legends of football and it's it's you know we remember his smiling face on the sidelines okay we can see him like shaking his head and things like that but that little jig he does when I think it might have been the Belgian game or, yeah yeah that little jig <laughs> yeah, he does I can see that's Bobby Robson that, that's your granddad that's your dad that's yeah. everyone you know that's us loving football again and yeah uh, wish we could get memories like that again sometime yeah. but yeah Great, great image to end on of, of Sir Bobby then. Well, thanks, guys. I think we could have talked, like Paddy said, for another hour on Italian 90, but hopefully we have covered everything um, in, of that tournament, a fantastic tournament. We'll, we'll do the same for all the 90s tournaments, so Euro 92, uh, USA 94, Euro 96, and World Cup 98 at some point during the season. But thank you, Seb. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Paddy. Thank, thank you, you, Ben. Yeah. Great to have you on. Um, just quickly, we had a competition on the site uh, to win a signed Ian Rush book we have picked a winner for that so well done to Neil Schilling um, so get in contact with us and on the Twitter feed and we will sort the prize out for you but until next week keep it 90s this podcast is a West 12 media and Burble media production Alive and Kicking is proudly supported by Classic Football Shirts the home of classic rare and retro football shirts for 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order. Alive and kicking.